This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. This is episode 27 of the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. On this episode, we have Drew Pumphrey. Drew is the owner of the Smoking Swine Barbecue and Smoked Meats Emporium. His food truck is based out of Baltimore, Maryland, and services the surrounding areas. He recently began working on a brick-and-mortar restaurant, which is currently operating on limited hours, but will be fully operational soon. In this episode, we talk barbecue, food truck life, his appearance on the Guy Fieri show Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, Guerrilla Marketing, Hospitality, Customers, and Customer Service, Not Overthinking It, and Vegetarian Barbecue. Thanks, as always, to this week's sponsor, Jug Bridge Brewery, located at 911 East Patrick Street in Frederick, Maryland. Thanks, and have a great week. Okay, welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. This is Chris, and this week I actually have a co-host with me that is not Andrew, so who do I have with me? Jared with Bubby Q. All right, so today I had an impromptu trip down to Baltimore, and while I was down here, I want to get a interview done with someone who I really am excited to have on the show. So today we have Drew from Smoking Swine, so welcome. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. So I've known you for, I don't know, on and off 10 years or so. I feel like I haven't seen you probably in five years, though. Yeah, it's probably been, yeah, eight or 10. And then, yeah, like, um, yeah, because I know that we met. Koshan, maybe, like, five years ago, I think, was the last time I saw you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, I think so. Yeah. But we've talked a lot on Facebook and stuff. Yes, that's the the beauty of social media is that uh, you don't have to deal with the inconvenience of human interaction. You can do it all over the screen. What I really (laughs) love is, you know, with our community, you're someone who shares advice openly when I think a lot of people don't. And you're someone who, over the years, whenever I had a question about especially HACCP plans, pop-ups, things like that, you've been so gracious about um, you know jumping in and sharing your expertise. But we can get to that. Let's, uh, let's find out a little bit about you. So who are you? What are you doing? Um, Drew Pumphrey. I have the Smoking Swine uh, Barbecue and Smoked Meats Emporium. We run mostly out of a single food truck now, opening up a second food truck and bar restaurant as we speak. Previously, 15 to 17, depending on how you look at it, years in the civil engineering industry. All of my culinary experience has come from secondary jobs. So it's always been like, you know, engineering during the day and then host or waiter or you know line cook or you know something in the industry either front or back of house for probably i'd say 18 to 20 years uh part-time so what was your first restaurant job burger king me too <laughs> yes and someone else i don't remember someone else on the show yeah when i was 16 i started the bk bk lounge as dane cook calls it right oh very nice yeah i am um, i started out i um i started out at about 16 yeah i had previously worked in a fabric shop as a stock clerk and just didn't like pardon me didn't like working there and wound up just getting the first job i could find i had literally no interest in anything culinary at the time 
and they paid okay, and I like to eat Burger King, so I might as well go there. <laughs> I can tell how old you are by how much you were making, probably. What was your, do you remember what, oh, your, man, what minimum wage was? Probably like six something an hour. You See, know? I'm, I'm 425 an hour, so. Yeah, it, was, it may have been right around there. I mean, it's, it's so long ago, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that you, you selectively remember because of trauma and you know, all that stuff, you know, because it wasn't a great job either. It was, it, it did actually teach me a little about the industry, just because it was a pretty swift kick to the pants about how brutal the industry is. I mean, long days. Like, I remember being on break and them calling me back from break to because the line was going out the door. Oh, yeah. I've done some really weird stuff at Burger King, like quick sidebar. I remember one time we had a rat infestation and they found that there were rats living in the woods uh, on the border of our restaurant. And my bosses sent me and a friend home to put on long clothes and they gave us a chainsaw and rat bait and made us go and cut down trees and find the rat holes and bait them. I'm pretty sure that's not legal, but this, le- but this leads into my parents thought it was totally okay because you did whatever your boss mm-hmm. told you to do. Oh, yeah. And in 1992, when I was working at Burger King, like I, my dad was like, well, if your boss wants you to cut down trees with a chainsaw and put rat poison in them, that's what you do. Yeah. yeah. And now today there's a lot of that's not my job. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I think that, it, that back in the day it was a little bit of a different um, a little bit of a different work ethic. I mean, I, wanna, I don't want to say it was better. I just want to say it was different. You know, um, I think it's good that people stand up for themselves now and say, eh, I'm not doing that. You're out of your mind. You know, but I also see the value uh, personally in somebody that is willing to do that type of thing. You know, like, I would never ask any of my people to go, hey, go fill that rat hole up with some concrete. You know, I'm not going to ask them to do that. But I may ask them to do something that's outside of what they would normally do. And nine times out of ten, it's it's because I want them to learn something different. You know, it's not because it's... You know, like, ah, I'm getting cheap labor to do this. It's, you know, like, hey, look, like, here's something that's outside of the scope of what you normally do. Give it a try. Do you feel like you have a tough time conveying that to the people that come and help you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't, a lot of people just don't understand that. Um, it's, I don't think that my job is just to tell you what to do all day. Like, my job isn't to manage you. My job is to educate you, you know, because if I have an educated employee, I have to do less and less every day. Um, so to me, I see, I see the, the job of being an employer is more of an educator than like a, a manager. You know, if I've hired you, you obviously have a minimum skill set. You know, you obviously have at least three functioning brain cells that are getting along fairly well. So, you know, if you want to learn more, I'm here to teach you. If you don't, well, maybe you should go somewhere else. And I think, um, to your point about like having people do mostly what the job is, it makes me think of that restaurant that was fined like a couple hundred thousand dollars for staging, but basically like people were staging, working there for free, getting experience. And then what it came down to is one day a year, they closed to clean and one person really got bent out of shape and he filed a complaint with the labor board saying like, I came here to learn how to cook and now he's got me like painting the restaurant. That's not my job. But, you know, he was okay with working for free as long as it was cooking for six months or however long. But the one day that they're like, we're going to shut it down or we're going to power wash the whole restaurant and we're going to do some touch-up painting. He's like, nope, that's it. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back and he went to the labor board and uh, it resulted in like a $150,000 labor violation or something. Yeah, and it was and it was at a very prestigious restaurant. Yes. You know? and, and, you know, not want to call anybody out. I can understand 
that employee's point of view. I can completely get it, you know, because you you can't you, when you're staging and you're doing that that type of thing. That's for your career. That's for your education um, as a culinary professional. I mean, I don't agree with the stage situation. I don't believe in it at all. If you want to come here and learn how to cook, you have to be an employee, and I'm going to have to pay you. I'm going to have to see value in your in your appearance here every day. If I come in and say, hey, by the way, wash my car and pick up my laundry. No, that's 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 BS. And and when people get bent out of shape and say, oh, well, he was willing to do this. Why can't he do this? Well, because that person has a choice. At the, at the, at the end of the day, it's that person's choice to agree to the stage system. It's, a, it's that person's choice to agree to pick up your laundry or not. You know, if they want to be a real kiss ass and everything and, you know, you pick up your laundry or power wash your restaurant, then let them. That's fine. But if they don't want to do it, you can't say, like, oh, you have to do this or you're not allowed to work for me for free anymore. I mean, it's ridiculous. Do you have people who want to come and just learn how to do barbecue really quickly? Like, hey, I'll come work for you for two weeks and learn how to smoke. Yeah, all the time. And it's ridiculous. I'm just like, dude, unless you can dedicate at least a year, I mean, I'm not going to give you shit because it doesn't. It's it, it's not it's not benefiting me, and it sure as hell is benefiting you. I can give you the crash course. I can give you three YouTube channels to watch, and you can you know you can learn everything I know in two weeks. Sure, just keep watching those videos every day, eight hours a day, all day for a year. You know, and maybe it'll ingrain it into your head as to what you know the things that I know. But yeah, I mean, people that come in that want to learn the quick and fast, and oh, I just want to learn how to do this one thing. Well, maybe you should look somewhere else. You know. So you said you didn't want to get into food, and here you are. So did you jump right into barbecue? Like, what was your path yeah. that led to eventually having the smoking swine? Um, so I wound up, like I said, I worked in um, civil engineering for a very long time, and then uh, the crash kind of happened in '08, and we were very, um, we were very much based in residential. Uh, in residential development. So nobody was buying houses. Uh, the company that I worked for went under. And I wound up having to get a job basically just to save my house. You know, my wife was working a really great job at the time, which thankfully was not affected. Um, and I wound up getting a job at Sears, I believe, uh, fixing lawnmowers because I had some uh, mechanical background right when I was like when I was in high school and had just gotten out of high school I also worked at a hot rod shop I like building engines and transmissions and stuff so I had some small engine repair experience so I did that for you know I got into that and within a month of working there I knew that it was not what I should be doing it was really long days it, and I mean when I say long days I'm talking like you would start at 7 a.m. and some days you're not getting back to your house until 9 10 o'clock at night and you had to work six days a week so and this is six days of days like that and it's insane and the management was all completely brutal and had no sympathy for your your situation your family situation nothing so um I really hated it and I said you know I I had gotten a smoker as a gift from my parents, and um, I really, like, it became my hobby, like, my obsession. I'm going to load this smoker up and see what I can do with it, you know, and everything that I wound up doing, I did it very meticulously. I took tons of notes. I mean, I've got, you know, those composition books full of, like, what to do, what not to do. Like, this worked, this didn't work, you know, like, just documenting all the successes and failures that went on, you know, through the through my process. And... Um, 
I took a bunch of stuff to a party one time, and a friend of mine said, you know, we're having a soft or a kickball, like, end-of-season party. Would you mind doing the catering for it? And I had never done anything like that before in my life. And I was just like, well, yeah, like, like what's your budget? And she's like, oh, like, a thousand bucks. I was like, holy, holy mackerel, a thousand bucks, whoa! So... I put a big thing together. I can only imagine. Like I, I wish that I had written down how much food I made for a thousand dollars back then, because I guarantee you it was way too much. Um, but it went there, and then it like kind of branched off. And within about probably three or four months, um, I was making more Friday to Sunday doing these catering jobs than I was making Monday through Friday at my you know, my regular day job. So um, I couldn't afford to quit. So what I wound up doing was just I stopped doing my job at Sears. I just was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, it was a very much an office space moment, you know, where I was just like, I don't like my job and I'm not going to do it anymore. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're going to quit? I'm like, I didn't say I was going to quit. I just said I was going to stop doing my job. And it took them a year and a half to figure it out. So I literally sat on the payroll, like rescheduled appointments. Like, I really apologize to anybody that in like, in like, 2011, 2012, if you got like a lot of Sears appointments rescheduled, I'm, sorry, I'm really sorry. It was probably my fault. <laughs> but I, I learned how to, run a, you know, how to run a food truck and how to exist in the food business. Um, I learned about, you know, percentages and, and you, know, how to, how to, you know, how to make your nut and how to, um, you know, basically budget and, you know, payroll, all that stuff. Learn how to do all that stuff in the year, year and a half that I was dicking around at Sears. And then when they fired me, I was just like, cool, smooth transition. I've got money. I can go buy a food truck. And they fired me. Then literally the next day, I ordered my food truck. And it was here in, I think, two and a half months. You know, a, a month later, after getting all my stuff together and licensing and all that, I was on the road and that was it. I mean, it was... Man, it was a whirlwind. It was just one of those things where it was, you know, like the the epiphany I had was I was sitting in my backyard and I'm sitting in front of this smoker smoking a whole bunch of brisket and stuff and I'm thinking about how much I hate my job. And I thought to myself, if I never had to work a day in my life, what would I do with my days? And I was just like, dude, I'm doing it. I'm literally doing it right now. And how can I monetize this? And that's what set the whole thing, you know, in motion. What year was that that you took it full time? Uh, 2012. Yeah. So, yeah, we've been we've been in uh, seven years now, seven and a half. So, yes, that was that's professionally. Yeah, two years outside of that was, you know, on the on, on the DL. Did you have a big break or a big event or something, or has it just been has it been slow and gradual? Or it's been the early development was very slow and very gradual, but it, but I feel like I had a, a little bit of a. I had a little bit of a, a kind of a, 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 a step up on a lot of other people because I treated my business very much like um, like I come from the like punk rock DIY scene, you know, the whole like self promotion stuff. So I come from I, I came from that world in my leisure, and I said to myself, you know what? Before I'm even telling anybody that I have a food truck. I'm going to go get a bunch of stickers made. I'm going to go get a bunch of bumper stickers made. I'm going to go get like a whole bunch of slaps that I can put up on anywhere. And then, you know, you 
you get stickers that say "Who the fuck is a smoking swine?" and you put them all over. You put them all over the place in Fells Point. You put them all over the place in Canton, and you and you start wearing smoking swine shirts. And you get a hundred of them made, and you give them to all your friends. And now they're all wearing them. People are like, "What the hell is this? Man, this is crazy. I've never heard of this place." You know, and. Once you build it up and you have like this guerrilla, you know, this guerrilla marketing. I mean, I had over 3,000 followers on my Facebook page before I even opened the door to my truck. Wow. I mean, I still don't even have 3,000 followers. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just shy of 30,000 right now on Facebook. So a lot of that has to do with outside influence. So a lot of that, I cannot, I, I can in no way take credit for all of that. The, um, but yeah, doing it that way, I mean, it was. It was the only way I knew how. And it and it really it, it helped us out initially because I went to the communities that's that I've always supported and I've always looked for them to support me back. So like when I like my first day out was at Autobar and it was like on a Tuesday night two for Tuesday and it was, you know, a lot of a lot of art kids and stuff and a lot of people that traditionally are not spending a lot of money on things like barbecue. Um, but we went there and we had a huge turnout. We did great and it was you know, our first night of service, we had no idea what we were doing. And man, we crashed and burned so hard so many times in one night. But everybody was cool about it. Everybody was like, dude, it's fine. Take your time. It's, you know, not a big deal. And since the community showed us so much love, we just kept coming back. And then we started diversifying out and like doing like the daytime stuff for lunches. And, you know, you, you hear tons of stories about nightmare customers and people that are just insufferable but I will tell you all in all my experience has been nothing but really positive I have had a couple people that I've had to eject from you know the line and I've had to you know deal with with online BS and but overall I mean it's it's been really good but I've got a guy that came up to the truck and he got um, and he got like a, we have like a sampler platter that has like like all three meats and two sides and you know like it's basically just like an offering of like hey this is basically what we're about and he got it and it was shit like the, I had somebody new on the truck with me I didn't check it before it went out like the brisket was like almost all fat it was not good you know like the pulled pork was cold like and and he brings it back and he's like this is terrible he's like this is absolutely terrible I was like I am really sorry like I, I like and I checked it out I was like dude you're right I was like, you know, and he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write it up on Yelp that way too, and I was like, that's fine. I was like, because we deserve it, right. you know. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dodge it. I'm not gonna try to, you know. I was like, but I was like, leave your review up. I was like, but just in full disclosure, this is a bad experience, and I, I can tell you right now that this is not the experience that we want you to have. Like, if you come back again. I will take care of you and show you exactly what it's supposed to be. And he came back like three weeks later and gave me three stars. And it, and it was like, and the, and the write-up was like, would have given five stars, but was out of soda or something like that. And I'm just like, never again, never again. I don't give a shit if you give me, if you find a way to give me negative five stars, kiss my ass. I don't care. I feel like if a lot more business owners would own up to it, like what you were just saying, like, yeah, this, this was shit. I'm sorry. Let me fix it for you. That's the best way to hold a customer coming back to you, knowing that you took what they had to say in consideration and you're going to go above and beyond to fix it the next time around. It's a huge humility is huge and rarefied. 
in this business. I mean, you, I mean, you think about a lot of the chefs that you know, and I'm not talking about like barbecue guys. There's some barbecue guys, but like the like the quote, like I call them real chefs. You know, a lot of them have enormous egos, and I mean just like insufferably large. Cannot do any wrong. You know, like no, it's that way because that's the way I want it to taste. Uh, we, uh, there's a restaurant in Frederick. My wife and I haven't been back, and it's been almost 10 years. We went in, and we ordered mussels, and they had Old Bay on them. And it was like someone just upended the whole container. It was inedible, salty, spicy. And we said to our waitress, you know, we got these mussels. This doesn't taste right. There's a ton of Old Bay. She said, you know, I'll take them back. Takes them back. 30 seconds later, comes back with the same bowl and puts them on the table and says, the chef says that's how they're supposed to be. Cool. No. Check, please. We're done. And never went back. Exactly. It's like... Even if it was how they're supposed to be, you're not going to fix it for us? Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll pay the $14 and whatever. I'll even still tip the waitress, but we're out. And that was like 10 years ago, and we haven't been back to uh, Bushwallers in Frederick, Maryland. No, I don't, I don't blame you. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, whether you like it or not, as a chef, you are part of and an integral part of the hospitality industry. And... I take professionalism within the industry very seriously. I mean, I'm not—I don't take a lot of stuff seriously. I, I like to joke around and make fun and make light of a lot of things. But I feel like in our industry, that is the best part. The humility is the best part of the industry. The point at which you can make a mistake, you know, because we all make them. The point at which you can make the mistake and someone calls you out on it, and you can say, "I'm really sorry. You're right." You're absolutely right. I did that wrong. Because in your mind, you thought you were doing it right. And you would have continued on that line of behavior. If and, and that person comes to you with a legitimate complaint, then God, thank you. That's awesome. My, you know. Yeah. I mean, I had a customer when I was first starting out, like figuring out, you know, I bring all my stuff to my customers' homes and I have all these bins and stuff, and there's no way around it. Um, and I had done a dinner, and then the next day she messaged me and said, you know, dinner was really great, but I just felt like my kitchen looked like a junky bomb, and, you know, I, I had guests over, and you had your stuff all over the place, and I really think you need to work on that, and that was something that I took to heart, because I had been doing this for, like, oh, three years or so, and nobody had ever said anything, and it made me really think about, like, my setup, and, yeah, like, I can't make your kitchen look like a bomb went off. Even though I need to bring all my pots and pans and china and food and stuff, I had to figure out a way to be able to prepare food in your home and then not make it look like a disaster area. But she was the first one who ever said anything. I was like, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, I mean, advice like that can go so far into making your business better. I mean, you know, like you took the advice and I'm sure you have like a streamlined system now that you just roll in and you're like, boom, not only is it probably easier to use, it looks better, you know, and, and that's, that's important, you know, taking it, you know, like I, I hate the entire culture that, that I feel has, I, I feel like it's always been around. I feel like it's less so now, but I hate the kitchen culture of it's us against them. It's us against the customers. It's like, no, dude. Like, literally, they're paying for you to be here. Like, it's you and the customers against maybe management. You know, it doesn't have to be about either one. 
it can really just be all of us working together to give someone a really good experience that you can feel good about later. But, you know, you, you wind up with people in the kitchen sometimes that are just, you know, they have that mentality of like, yeah, screw these guys. They think they're better than me. You know? I still see it all the time. Yeah, it's aggravating as hell. You know, it's and, and I had to let a guy go. I had to, I had to let a guy go over that specific thing because we were out, um, we were doing a service. We were doing a service in um, up in Moncton at a brewery. And a guy came by, and he spent like over a hundred dollars on him and his family to get food um, for their for their dinner. And they got all the food and everything and it was fine. And I ch- everything looked great going out. And he came back, and he was just like, "I'm just letting you know." He's like, "Everything was good, but it was cold. Like everything was cold." And and they were the first. They were the first customer of the day and, you know, working out of a food truck and it was very cold that day and just something happened and I was an absentee owner for a moment and this got by. And I, my first reaction was, I am really sorry. I'm going to refund everything that you bought. Um, this is, there's no excuse for that. It's not the it's not the experience that we want you to have. We want you to leave here and just be blown away by how great everything is. And I'm not going to charge you for an experience that's anything less than that. And the guy that was working for me, like literally, is like, oh, that's bullshit. Everything was fine. He's lying. He's trying to get free food, like with the dude as far away from me as you are, you know. And he, it's, it's it, it might as well have been the three of us sitting there. And I'm just like, you're fired. Like you can leave now, like right now, you can go home. Like he couldn't believe it. He's like, "Oh, I'm just looking out. I'm just looking out to make these customers always trying to get one over on you." I'm like, not really. How quick did that guy ask when he was getting paid, and after you told him he was fired? Oh, that was I. He didn't have a chance. I I peeled it off right there. I gave him the money. I was like, "Here's cash, man. Just get out. You're done." I don't know how you get in that negative mindset. I had. Someone who worked for me when I worked not in my own business, but she was the front of the house manager. And like a customer would come in and say, I don't really like anything on the dessert menu. Can I get some fruit? Nope. It's not on the menu. I was like, I don't understand that. Like go in the walk-in and get an apple or some cup. Like we have it. And they always have, and they always have these weird excuses. Like they globalize everything. Like, well, if they want it, everyone's going to want it. No, they don't. People are still going to get the chocolate mousse. They're going to get the cheesecake. Like they're not going to stop ordering chocolate mousse to get an apple. So get this woman an apple because she doesn't want anything else. But I just don't understand that mindset of like the lording over the power of that's not on the menu. I'm not going to get you some fruit. Well, that's exactly what it is too. Is that you know you you have these you have a lot of people. I mean like let's let's face the 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 true reality of our industry. There are two kinds of people. There are the people that know they don't have like a formal education and are looking for something more, looking for like a street smart education, whatever, you know, like an industry-wise education. And then there are the people that come in and have the attitude of everybody thinks they're better than me just because they got this GED or they got this college diploma. And it's just like, you know, and they have the mindset of, I'm going to show them who the boss is. You know, tell me what to do. Well, you're in the hospitality industry. Actually, your job is to be told what to do by literally anyone with money in their hand. Like, and if you don't like that, 
get out. Like, I understand that, like, if you're a really good waiter, you don't need a formal education, and you can work in a great restaurant and make a wonderful living. I have friends that are bartenders that are making six figures in Baltimore because they're just really good bartenders in a really good bar, you know, and they don't have college educations and they you know one guy never even finished high school but he does well for himself because he is a professional in the industry and people keep coming back to him but when you have people like that i mean it's just it, if someone like if so if i hired someone that pulled some shit like that i like they'd be gone first of all but i would seriously have to look at myself as like the manager that hires people say what the hell the, what did i look past to, to let this into my house and that's one of the reasons I think I had to leave there because I was in a middle management position where I, I wasn't the final call. Like, and HR was not in agreement with me. My general manager wasn't in agreement with me. It's like your whole program is going to go down in flames if you allow these people. And we had really only a handful of about like five toxic people yeah. in a food service department of a hundred plus. But those five people were running the show and they were in some key positions and the general consensus was it's so hard to find people these days. And if you let them go, we're not going to have a front of the house manager. It's like, well, that person is going to destroy our business. And we had a sous chef who was of the same mindset. And I was just like, I can't change you guys, but I cannot stay here and be part of this environment anymore. No, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, and, and that's what separates the wheat from the chaff in my mind. I mean, you, if you as a professional can't stand the people that are around you, not because of an inferiority complex, but just because of the way that they act within the industry. I mean, that's, that's a perfect, I want those people to come apply for jobs with me. Or if, Hey, if you're in a position where everyone around you is a jerk, um, give me a call. I'll, I'll decide if you're the jerk or if they are. <laughs> and, and if you're not, then I'll hire you, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's tough. So how supportive was the food community in Baltimore, both brick and mortars and food trucks? Were they supportive of you or not so much? Um, initially, very not supportive. <laughs> Everyone was like, don't do it. Run away. Um, people were very much uh, begging me to not. Like, they're like, look, everybody told me don't start a food truck. Don't start a food truck. And it, was, it, it very much reminds me of like the scene in Fight Club where he's waiting on the front step for three days. And, you know, and, and that's the way it was. I mean, like I went, I went around for three months saying, yeah, I want to start a food truck. I need help. I, you know, I went to uh, Damien Bohager, who's, who runs the, um, the uh, what are those things? The, 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 the food truck, uh, you know, like um, the little food truck festivals that they have. Um, the Gathering, that's what it is, uh, and the Taste of Three Cities. Like Initially, I went to him, and he was like, don't do it. It's a bad idea. Just just get a carry out, do anything but this. It's, it's so hard. And then I went to people like the Gypsy Queen and Coopers and you know these people that I've known like for, for a long time, and I trust their opinions, and they were all just like, dude, don't do it. And then when I called them up, I was like, well, I ordered the trailer, so it's happening. And they're like... Well, all right, so now that you're in hell, let me show you around, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and they basically, and after that, after I had shown that it was not just a bunch of talk, that it was something that I really did want to do, the community opened up like a book. I mean, it was just, you know, we had so many, and, and the, the great part was, is that at the time, there were only, I think, maybe five or six food trucks in Baltimore, other than me, so. How many are there now? Oh, man, like uh, upwards of 70, I think. Yeah, I mean it's well. That's that's well. Yeah, I think it's like up to 
I think it's like 70 some in Baltimore City, you know, but that's that's by the numbers of licenses that are out there. So it may be far less because they may be on the road or may not be on the road or maybe a hot dog cart or whatever. But as mobile food vendors go, I think it's up in the 70s right now. Do you see them often come and go? The secondary equipment market is thriving in, in the food truck industry. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It, um, th- and that was one of the things that, you know, the community pointed out to me. They're like, look, don't be a statistic, man. Like, get your numbers right. Figure out what you got to do. Like, And, and, the, and the, one of the great things was is that I, I was in a position when I got in to where for the entire first year, I didn't have to make a dime. Like, I had, a, I had money set aside to live off of. It was budgeted. You know, it's like, look, I've got this nut. I can't touch it. Like, this is going to house payment, bg car payment, all that stuff. I've got that for a year. Now, I've got this other little nut over here that I can chip into for whatever I need for the business. You know, like, it'd be all my food supplies and licensing and things like that. And I'm really in debt to myself because I couldn't have done it without that, that lead time. Like to, I mean, you know, it's like any new venture, you need to get traction. You need to get, you know, you need to get, you know, feet on the ground and people interested in what you're doing. And that takes time and time in this business is money. And you just basically have to keep loading up the cannon and shooting it at the public, you know, just, you know, just over and over. And it's a business. I see so many people starting these things and they have zero business experience and you might be a great chef or a cook or it seems like there's people getting into it who've never even worked in food service. Like they just think it would be so cool to have a taco truck and they get a taco truck, but they know nothing about anything. They, they wouldn't know how to repair the truck. They have no marketing skills. They don't understand anything about anything really. And I just can't believe these people just willy nilly buy a food truck. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing to me because we've had so many people um, being the former first vice president of the Maryland Mobile Food Vendors Association. You get phone calls and emails constantly like, my husband and I are getting ready to retire from the IRS after 48 years of service. And we want to start a food truck and do coffee and donuts and little cakes that I like to make my own. You know, what, what advice can you give us? I'm like... Fuck off. <laughs> like, uh, you don't want any part of this. You're like, you, what are you, like 80 and you're trying to start a food truck? I mean, it's one of those things where it's like Anthony Bourdain in his uh, Medium Raw. He had this whole list of things to not do if you want to be a chef. And it, and it was basically like, and, and my favorite one for so many reasons is always, uh, you can't be fat and be a chef. Like, and it's... It's true. I mean, it's it's hard. Like I was a little skinnier than I am now when I started. But it's like you can't be being a chef is hard for the most in shape, uh, young, virile person in the world. It's a hard job. And when you get people that are older, you get people that are you know that may have certain uh, physical limitations on themselves. I mean, God love you if you think that you can just be like you know what I'm seventy two, but I don't care. I'm just as Surprise! I was at 22. Well, this is going to be the test, Jack, because you're going to be up at 5 a.m. every morning, and your day isn't going to end till 10 o'clock every night. You know, and when you're coming off of a nice, squishy federal job, or you know, I mean, I can, I, I literally had to talk to this guy, and he's like, "Well, when do you take your breaks?" I'm like, "When do I take my, Saturday night?" I don't know, man. Like, what are you talking about? What is a break? I'm like, well, for lunch, you know, it's 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 a legal obligation. You have to give an hour for lunch. I'm like. Oh, I'll just do that at 12. 
Well, what do you do about all your about all your people that are coming in for lunch? Ah, fuck them. <laughs> sorry, sorry, folks, standing in line. It's twelve o'clock, and you guys want lunch, but we're gonna go ahead and take ours now. So be back in fifteen. <laughs> Just flip the sign. <laughs> I never thought it would be easy having a food truck, but I thought it'd be cool. And it was probably like 12 years ago. I went to a Star Chef's conference in New York City, and uh, Chef Jeremiah was there of Gastropod, who, you know, one of the most well known, I think, food truckers, especially at the time. And he brought his Airstream there and parked it in the middle of the convention with serving food. And I said, Oh, I'd love to have a food truck. He's like, It is harder than any restaurant. He's like, I've worked in Michelin star restaurants all over the world. He's like, if you're going to do this because you think it's easier than working in or running a restaurant, you're wrong. That little trailer I have is more work than anything I've ever done anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, and that's the funny part because I like, I've only worked in a kitchen as a line cook. I would say I have a solid, if we're talking 60 hour weeks. I would say I have a I have a solid three months of experience over probably two different restaurants, and it was very much a hey can you jump in and do this even though you're the bouncer can you jump in and do this even though you're the host can you yeah no problem because I've always I've always wanted to chip in and help where I can, and I will tell you what I have been in friends restaurants now after doing this in in the trailer that they have enormous, expansive kitchens and, and 15 people, you know, rocking and rolling and they're doing 400 covers a night. And I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm just like, you're doing 400 covers in a night. Okay, so you're open, you're doing your covers from five to 10. So you have five hours to do 400 covers. That's bullshit, that's nothing. Like I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing 150 covers an hour. I mean, and that's with two people in a truck. Like, why do you have 15 people only doing, you know, like, well, is this why I'm paying $38 for this eight-ounce steak? Like, are you out of your mind? You know, but it's, it is absolutely one of those things where it's, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions. People think, oh, it's all cute, and it's got a little cute wrap on it, and it looks all neat, and everybody seems happy. Well, you have to seem happy, or nobody's going to want to come buy your food, first of all. You know, I mean, who the hell wants to come up to an old curmudgeon? you know, and buy their food. They don't want to do that. So what are your biggest challenges today now that you have established yourself a little bit? Like, um, keeping it going. I mean, that's the, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, like baseball players and, you know, football players always talk about it. You know, it's that, that, um, that, that fear of loss, you know, you, you have that, that ongoing, like you, you hit this mark, you hit like the, like, we did um, diners, drive-ins, and dives uh, three years ago, and that was when I was three years in. We did it. I wanted to hit it at five, and I wanted to hit it two years early. So that like blew my mind, first of all. But ever since then, you're tra- you know you chase the dragon. I mean, it's we've always gotten like a lot of press and things like that. But the hardest thing for me to do is I'm, I'm I am definitely vain. Uh, when it comes to my business, when it comes to personally, I don't care, but the business to me is an extension of myself. And when I get press, I want more. Like when I have somebody that's like, you know, somebody wants to do a podcast or somebody wants to do an article in a paper or somebody wants to do anything, you know, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. You know, like we had a, um, the Damien Bohager again, I'll reference him. He basically told me it was the best. It's one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten in business from anyone. They said, if there's a camera on, get in front of it. 
Like that is it. Like you have to, you have to put yourself out there because nobody's going to do it for you. And that's the hardest part. Like if I don't get some type of press or some type of mention or have a rerun of my episode on dive, you know, on dives, I get antsy. Like I get like, oh shit, like maybe I'm falling into obscurity. I can't do that. You know, this is, you know, let's, and there's nobody to pull me out of it but myself. Because everyone's looking for the hot new thing, right? Like at some point it's like, oh, I've been there five or six times. Let's go check out the new place. Baltimore is infamous for that. I mean, that, that's always the joke in Baltimore. People in Baltimore will go to the opening of an envelope, you know, but they won't stick around to read the letter, you know, and, and that's the thing is that, you know, when I, when I first opened up, we had a ton of people coming by. They were just like, man, oh, we read about you in the paper. We read about you here, there, whatever. And now it's not that way. I mean, we rely a lot on uh, repeat customers. Like, I think uh, somewhere, like the, the, the demographics on my POS tell me that it's about, we have about a 60% return rate for customers, which is phenomenal. I mean, 30% is good. But we have a 60% return rate on customers. So we have a 40%, 40% of our customers every day are brand new. And, you know, we usually do about, I don't know, like maybe 80 to 120, 130 customers a day. And it's pretty good. I mean, I, I have no problem with that. But at the same time, you know, you're still chasing it, chasing it, chasing it. It's, it's, it's a pain in the ass. What was the whole Triple D experience like? Um, it wasn't what I thought it would be. It was, it was great. I mean, it was phenomenal. Um, but it was a situation where, you know, we got a phone call from their production offices, um, did a interview with them over the phone. They, you know, they were like, Hey, look, we're looking at you and we're looking at like four other places in Baltimore right now. But, you know, um, my friend Chad Wells, um, he was working at the time at um, Alewife. Alewife, that's the one on Utah Street. So he was the executive chef at Alewife, and they were shooting his episode. And for whatever reason, and I didn't even know him very well at that point. Uh, we were ju- we had just known each other in passing, and you know, like professional courtesies. Um, he they were like, who else should we see in Baltimore? Who's a who's a like a real weirdo that's doing crazy stuff that would be good on television? And he was like, you got to talk to my buddy Drew. Like he's doing really great barbecue out of a food truck. He's a huge personality, you know the the whole thing. And I wound up, um, you know, and they called me, and we went through two months of interviews over the phone. Like probably every two to three weeks, they call me up and be like, so "How do you feel about this? What do you think about that? What would you want to do for a guy? And how would you, you know, like how would you really impress and stuff like that?" And it was, you know, it, at the end of the day, they picked me, and um, <coughs> it was two days of shooting. It was like the A day, which was like, if you look at if you look at any episode, it's shot. It, it's it's brilliant the way they shoot everything. Like it's it's a machine. But if you look at any of any episode, there's two parts in the filming. There's a part where they have all of the people in the in the restaurant, diner, wherever. They have them talking individually. So basically, what you do is you get your place loaded up with people, and then you serve do a service. And the camera guys are there, and they tape you baking the food, and then they tape the responses from people in your restaurant. And then they have a second day where they tape you doing the food again with guy. And then they have guy talk to people and talk to you. So like those two days, we were 
they came to us at our busiest time of year. And we literally had like four catering jobs a week for six weeks. And we're just like, look, like you're going to have to work around our schedule. I'm really sorry. They're like, oh, well, we usually do like A day on Monday, B day on Tuesday. I'm like, well, you're going to have to do like A day on Monday, the second, and then B day on Thursday, the 23rd, because, you know, like it's my schedule's too booked. I can't, like, unless you want to pay for one of these people to go somewhere else, which I don't think any of us want to do. Um, but yeah, we wound up coordinating actually with them and we shot our episode with the part that had guy in it. We shot that in the back parking lot at Miss Shirley's the same day that they were shooting the Miss Shirley's episode. So it was like, literally he came out of the Miss Shirley's into my truck. So if you, if you ever see the Miss Shirley's episode, he's wearing the same exact shirt (laughs) as he was in my episode. So. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a great experience. I mean, that dude is, man, he is amazing. I mean, people treat him like shit. Everyone I know, as far as a chef who's met him, talk about how great he is. Because, you know, like in the public, he definitely has a... He's got a personality. Yeah, he has a personality. And it's a show. Yeah, well, that's the thing, is that, I mean, the way I look at him, man, he's a genuine article. I mean, the, like, the way he is on TV is the way he is. He's not putting on a show for you. He's just being himself. Um, and that's and as long as you're being your genuine self, I don't have a problem with you. I don't care if you're a big doucher or you're you know like some fucking weird nerd kid or whatever. I don't care as long as you're giving it to me honest, you know. And and that was the thing with him. I mean, you know, if I mean if you just sat down and looked at a resume from him, you'd just be like, holy crap, this guy's done a lot, you know. And but people discount all that. Because of his spiky hair and because he wears, you know, weird clothes or, you know, he's got a whole bunch of bling and he's, you know. He takes you to Flavortown. He puts it on a flip-flop. You know, just, yeah, exactly. I mean, these are the, these are the things that, you know, that are just the, the stuff on the periphery that, dis, that, that really, I, I think, um, they kind of distract you from the actual merit that he has as a chef. I mean, he is a great chef. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Um, but he's a great person too. I mean, he's, he was more than forthcoming with like, he's like, Hey, if there's any, you know, we, he's like, we have a competition barbecue, barbecue team. If you ever need any advice, you know, cause he was talking to me, he's like, yeah, you should, you should compete. You should do competition. And I'm just like, I can't, I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. You know, he's like, if you need anything, you, here's the number, you give this number a call and we'll take care of you. We'll do whatever you need, you know? And He's just very giving. He's a very giving dude. I mean, it's the the story that I tell people that, you know, when people are still like, oh, no, he's a jerk. He's, you know, whatever, a big douchebag. But the, the story that I always give people is when he was shooting our episode, the inside of that truck is cramped. I mean, it's very small. And then you shove a three-foot table in the middle of the lane, you know, and it gets even smaller. And... Um, we're, we're shooting and the, basically the way the whole thing worked was like the two of us had to get in the trailer and then they had to put the table in afterwards. So if either one of us wanted to get out, they had to pull the whole table out, had to, you know, the whole thing. It was a pain in the ass. But after we shot each little segment, like he would bounce, like if we had to reset for something, he'd go out of the trailer and he'd be on his phone. And, you know, he's just, like, kicking rocks, walking around the parking lot on the phone and everything. And after, like, the fourth time, I was, I was a little pissed. 
I was like, man, like everybody else I've always talked to, was like he was always bullshitting around with you, know, like buddy, buddy, and all this stuff. That was really the experience I was looking for because I've like idolized this guy. He's amazing. And I'm thinking to myself, man, what the fuck did I do? Like, did I piss this guy off or something? Because when he came out, like, you know, I gave him a big hug, like a fucking lunatic, and he's like, what the hell are you doing, man? Let me go. I'm like, sorry, this is very exciting for me, you know, like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> but um, he winds up out of the truck, in the truck, out of the truck. And then by the fourth time, I was like, look, I was like, you know, and I fucking cover my mic up. I'm like, I don't mean to sound like an asshole, man. I was like, but did I piss you off? Like, did I do something to, like, kind of like turn you off from hanging out or anything and he was just like he's like no no he's like it's not it at all he's like I'm really sorry I should he's like I definitely should be paying more attention to what's going on in here he's like we have an issue back in California right now that I'm trying to take care of he's like we had uh he's like I had hired a friend of mine to take care of some stuff with grocery games and apparently the deal is he told me with grocery games the way they shoot that show is they shoot it for three days straight three episodes a day so when you see like episode whatever part one episode whatever part two like they will shoot those three sequenced shows because it'll be like tournament of the triple d champions tournament of the triple g champions and then tournament of spice people whatever and they will shoot those three one a day across three days and you know that <laughs> that works that works for them on their schedule but what they do at the end is at the end on the fourth day everything in the store goes everything like perishable non-perishable doesn't matter they stock it the day before the, the show starts and they empty it the day after the show starts donate it all to women's shelters, homeless shelters, you know, like treatment, uh, substance abuse treatment places. I mean, they just load up trucks and get rid of it. And they had a scenario where it didn't get done and literally everything in the whole place went to waste. Like everything perishable perished. And he was like, he was like, that cannot happen. He's like, it's, he's like, it's, it's never happened before. I gave my buddy of mine a job to do and he didn't get it done. He's like, so I'm doing it now. He's like, I am literally leaving here tonight at 1 a.m., flying back to Cali. He was like, it's 6.30 in the morning. I will be driving a forklift into the back of trucks, loading trucks, and getting them out of the studio. And I'm just like, take your time. <laughs> I was like, never mind me. <laughs> like, like and, and the thing was, I was just like, I, I was like, wow, that's either the best, like, bullshit I've ever heard in my life, or this guy is really the fucking, he's the genuine article. And I went to the one, um, there's a guy that you'll see every once in a while on the production team, they call him Father Time, and uh, he's a white-haired guy, and I went to him, like, kind of after we were done shooting, I was like, I was like so what's the deal with the, uh, the Triple G guy that fucked up? He's like, oh, man, don't get me started. I was like, is he really doing all this? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, he's taking care of all of it. He won't let us touch it. I'm like, what? He's like, he's the hardest, he's the hardest working guy in the Food Network, with no, no doubt in my mind. And we're sitting in a location today doing the podcast that is not on your truck. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so about a, um, a little over a year ago, uh, my friend David and I were looking for commissary space i had been i don't want to say i when i say i was working out of my house it sounds wrong um i wasn't working out of my house but i was working 
from my property. Let's say that. So I used to have for the first like uh, first five and a half six years, I would park my trailer on my property at the house, and then I would do all my prep inside the trailer. And like nothing, like I would never do anything actually inside my house, but we would do all the prep work in the trailer and everything. And it would all just happen to be at my home at the time. So everything was happening, happening in a licensed kitchen, but you're supposed to have a commissary, uh, for whatever reason, literally the, the minimum reason that you have to have a commissary in the state of Maryland is a place to load and unload, uh, fresh and gray water. And to get rid of trash. That is literally the only two reasons that you need a commissary. So we found this place. The price was right. Um, has two really big kitchens. It's got everything you need in it. But at the same time, it you know came with a liquor license and it came with a you know entertainment license and carry out license and all that great stuff. You know we hope to be open um, sometime like uh, early to mid April. It's um. Big pain in the ass, but so is it going to be a, a sit down restaurant, carry out, kind of both? It's going to be like kind of a hybrid of, of all things. Like right now, we run Saturday service. I have a little like on the side of the building, on like right on the sidewalk. We literally have like a walk up carry out window uh, with a little awning over it, so you know, like on Saturdays from two to eleven, or from eleven to two rather, from eleven to two, you can walk up and just order whatever you want off our menu, and it's there. Or you can go online and order ahead and pick it up, you know, whatever you want to do. But um, once we start the bar going, we're going to be open for, it seems like right now we're going to be open a couple days a week. Um, And I think that Saturday is the only day that we've definitely agreed on. Um, I'm going to be open on the carry outside from 11 to 2, but everything will also be available in the bar. Like we're looking to be in open from like 11 to 11 on Saturdays, just... We don't want to be open too late. You know, we don't want to open up super early. Uh, we're not doing a whole lot of, like, sports stuff or TVs or any of that crap. It's just kind of like a hangout bar, you know. As my wife calls it, it's a pop-up bar. And it looks like the place you would walk in and see your grandfather sitting at the bar with an old-fashioned or something, you know, which I like. That's very cool. I love the vibe, but I'm excited to come back and get some barbecue here. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting time because... We're going to have the barbecue thing going on, and then we also have Dizzy Cow Pizza here. So we're actually going to be doing wood fire pizza also. So that'll be interesting. We'll see how that goes. So I feel like a lot of people that want to do the food thing really overthink it. They really put too much thought into things like, you know, oh, I have to have a mission statement, and I have to have, you know, I have to get all this, you know, I have to, I have, to have all the all the right things for all the right people and I have to have the right look and the right this and the right that and I think to myself like there used to be a place called the Dixie Pig um, in Queenstown, Maryland it's right around the corner from where I grew up and this was in, this was this place was around a very long time and it was um, it was an older black gentleman that had uh, basically an outdoor cinder block pit that was super long um, and he was doing like basically whole hog and whole chicken and rib um, Carolina style barbecue so he sh- he's got a big burn barrel shoveling coals you know the whole thing and that went on for years and years and years and I think the guy stopped in his 90s and he put like a, like a dozen grandchildren through college doing that 
But that guy didn't worry about like where am I getting my linens? Who's my, my table service? Oh my my oh man my uh, my app to go you know like all let me give a shit about that. I still go through that with my own business though because as a personal chef I'm not a caterer, and I've said like I don't really care about table settings in front of the house. I want the service to be good. I want it to be about food. I want to have a good time. But I don't bring tablecloths. I don't bring chargers. I don't bring like fancy stuff. My china is mixy matchy from Goodwill because it keeps my costs down. And I wanted to run a profitable business that I could do for a number of years. And I just think so many people start hemorrhaging money early because they're buying steel light plates that are $25 a plate and they're getting these fancy linens and doing all this stuff. And I think you can have a good meal and a good experience and delicious food without having to have all that. I'm not saying it's going to be a messy table setting, but I just have very little interest in a very intricate place setting at the table. Yeah, I mean, when we open for service here, we're not we not we don't have china. We literally are doing everything on baking sheets with butcher paper, you know, traditional barbecue style place settings. But that's so hip right now anyway. It is. That's what pisses me off, man. You know, people are like, oh, that's so cool and trendy. I'm like, it's not trendy. It's been going on for 50 years. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, people, like when we did all the pallet wood in this room and everything. Um, I mean, I think it looks great, but so many people are like, oh, that's so, it's so trendy right now. I'm like, this isn't because it's trendy. Literally, all the wood in here cost me $40. That's why I talk. <laughs> like, like I'm trying to keep costs down, man. Like I'm trying to do what I can myself to, you know, to keep all my costs down so I can have a restaurant that lasts more than two or three years. You know, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be, you know, a, a place like I've, there, there have been, a, I don't want to be a dinosaur barbecue. I don't want to be an Oliver Speck. I don't want to be, you know, I, I, I don't want to be uh, the, the Heavy Seas Brewery, you know, restaurant. I don't want to be these places that, that come in and try to do, um, like, low country or, like, what I like to call poor people food, you know, like barbecue and stuff. You can't have a $26,000 a month nut on your rent and serve barbecue. You cannot do it. I'm sorry. It's it's insane, and that's a, and like my friend, uh, my friend Jesse was the um, she was the uh, executive chef at Oliver Speck, and it, it, fucking food was out of this world. It was amazing, but the overhead for the place, for the location, was insane, and it couldn't sustain itself. But now she's figured that. With what she wants to do, with like she loves low country cooking and stuff. What she wants to do, she's going to open her own place now, and she's going to be able to control those costs. And that's what you know. That's what I've, I've tried to tell people the whole time. It's like, look, man, if you're a, if you're a chef and you're serious and you really want to get a place going, then you got to open your own. Don't don't rent. You know, like if you do rent, rent in a shitty area that you can get a really good rental rate because that's what I did. And I tell you what, it doesn't matter if I saw a single thing out of the front of this door. The food truck, three days a week, out on the street, takes care of this place. And I never have to worry about it. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's you know, it's, it's tough with, with that whole, you know, that whole attitude now with, you know, you have to have your, um, you know, all of your culinary mission statements and shit like that all together. It's bullshit, man. You just go out and do what you want. I mean, it's... I mean, I always feel people should do it the legal way. 
Get your experience. I always tell people, cut your teeth on somebody else's dime. You know, like learn how to do your stuff. Like, well, so long you're getting paid by somebody else. And then, you know, just go do your own thing. Don't worry about it. So we're going to move on to the end section, which we call on the fly. We say it's kind of quick responses, but sometimes they go long. Jared went long on every single one of them, but that's okay. See, what had happened was... 20 <laughs> words for a five-word sentence. Yes. So this, this is kind of the speed round that we kind of like to be the equalizer that we ask everyone the same question. So if you're ready, what's your favorite tool in the kitchen? I would say we have a, we have a Roboku here that is a very specialized one it's 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 only it's a continuous feed roboku that is only for vegetables and it is very expensive and does a absolutely amazing job at everything it does do you have a favorite chef uh either locally famous not is there someone you really like my number one's guy fieri i mean he's he's great um locally i'd say jesse Sandler. Yeah, she's she's my favorite locally. I did the Mason Dixon um, chef competition years ago with Tim Dyson. Oh, right and, on. and she was one of the judges, and she was really hard. And we caught some shit, but I think rightfully so. And we didn't win that competition. Tim and I wanted to win so badly. And I think that was the first time I met her. And it was really right on the heels of Top Chef. She was like the guest, one of the guest judges and just like... She's ha- a hard ass, and she, man. She, she hammered us shit all the time. I she love hammered that. us rightfully so on some shit. We, we tried to do some stuff we shouldn't have tried doing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she's really cool. Art or science? I would say I live, I live art, but I trust science. So you get a ticket to go somewhere, anywhere in the world for a food tour. Where are you going? I show it to the American South, man. I mean, it's, I've done it before, uh, you know, a couple times, and I'll keep on doing it. It's, I love it. I'm going to zone this question directly at barbecue. Texas, Carolina, or Kansas City? All of them. Come on, man. I mean, you know, you can't limit yourself to one. Like, if I had a favorite, like, I have a favorite for each. Like, you know, like Kansas City ribs and stuff. I, awesome. Um, you know, uh, Texas brisket. Amazing. Carolina pulled pork. I mean, it's they all have their their draw and that's i mean that's what we do in the truck you know we do carolina style pork and you know like we do our ribs is sweet and saucy you know but yeah i don't think you can just have one so is there something you do differently from everyone else either personally or professionally i think everything i do i do differently than anybody else i do everything the hard way um and not and not like the chefy hard way where it's like, I do it the hard way for the process because it's more genuine to the... No, fuck that. I do it because I'm stupid. You know, because I need to learn the lesson because I'll never... You cannot teach me anything. I have to learn it the hard way. So I, I tend to do everything wrong at least the first time. Anytime I do anything. What do you need the most help with? In life? We used to ask the question, if you had a lot of money and could hire one person, what would that person be? An accountant. Yeah. We've gotten that one a lot. Yeah. That, that would be it. I mean, seriously, if I could just, if I had unlimited money to, to hire like the fucking terminator of accountants, I would do it because that's, that is, I feel honestly that that's the largest hurdle in our industry is the fact that, um, Business ownership should not be as hard as it is. I mean, the government makes business ownership, and it is an undue burden on the business owner because you have to, you know, like they say, oh, you just hire an accountant. 
well, do I, I don't want to hire an accountant for $350 a month because, you know, like, I don't know necessarily, like, what loophole I need to go through. And it's just, it's, it's, it's agonizing. It really is. I feel, I feel like I've left so much money on the table or paid too much money in taxes or, you know, like I had a terrible accountant when I first started. And literally for my first year in business, every year I owed at least 20 grand in taxes. And I finally was just like, this is, this is insane. Like, I'm talking to everyone else in my industry. And they're all like, oh, no, I got like 20000 back last year. I got 10000 back last year, you know, because I bought all this equipment and everything. No, my tax guy isn't telling me, oh, hey, um, you know, you don't, like, I wasn't paying quarterly taxes. He's just like, I'll just take care of it at the end of the year. So, like, January rolls around and I got to come up with twenty grand in the slow season. You know, and, and he's not telling me, oh, well, you know, you probably should have just bought a new truck. You wouldn't have had to pay any of this. You know, I need to have a new truck. I need to have been on a five-year plan to pay instead of, you know, you got to pay it all right now. I didn't do any of this. Two years ago, I got a new accountant. It has completely changed my life. I mean, everything is better. Everything, like, the, these guys are amazing. Is there a book you can recommend, cookbook or non? There are a few books that I rely on. Um, setting the Table is phenomenal um that's a that's a um a very good point of reference danny meyer yeah what's the other one um uh turning point turning points uh a really good one and there is another one that i uh kevin alexander book that just came out called burn the ice i am a little bit biased because of the fact that i'm actually in the book Oh, really cool. And we put links in the show notes, so that's awesome. I'm telling you, I got a I, I got um I got in a text message from Kevin, the the head brewer over at Union, with a like a just like a literally a picture of a paragraph in a book. And he said and it was just followed by the like the text, holy shit. The book is about um, the culinary movement in America over the last maybe 10 years and how it's really blown up and how it's retracting now into a, a much simpler uh, into a much simpler state and he wrote a couple chapters there are chapters about basically the innovators and he has a chapter on Guy Fieri and he mentions my business as like one of the businesses that you know has really flourished because of that and I just I absolutely couldn't believe it and I, I like I tweeted out I was like hey thanks to you know at Kevin Wrights or whatever it is for mentioning me in his book and he DM'd me and he was like hey you know he's like I've had your food it's phenomenal and I'm just like you're like a New York Times writer or something right I was like do you have any favorite culinary resources websites absolutely there's a uh, there's a great website for barbecue people called amazingribs.com um, it's a it's, it's an industry standard and it's great um, I got a lot of advice when I first started there um, a lot of my sauce recipes are based um, in whole or in part by some of theirs yeah I mean that's really the one that I go to a lot you're not trying to do modern barbecue and like I really fancy interesting stuff and that like there See, this is where I want to throw people under the bus. This <laughs> where I want to get juicy and just be like, and this son of a bitch. You know, but it's, um, yeah, the modern barbecue thing could suck it. Like, I think it's bullshit. I am, 
I, it, it, it's, it's like somebody showing up and being like, look at this brand new wheel I made. So much better than the old wheel. You know, it's like, oh, wow, it's still round, huh? No, no, no. My wheel is a triangle. You know, it's like you're trying to fit stuff into a culinary movement, and it just doesn't belong. You know, like, I'm sorry, man, but, like, pork, beef, chicken, that's it. That's that's all you need. Like, I don't need you to come at me with some, you know, I don't, I don't need you to smoke me racks of lamb. I don't need a pulled lamb smoked sandwich and, well, man, no. How about tofu? God, come on. No. Um, I, I would say, I would say you could probably get away with tofu if you were, like, a fall restaurant and you had like some like one of those like the tea box smokers and you're just doing it to a part a little flavor to it. But man, no, like I'm sorry. The the vegetarian barbecue thing, find your own wheelhouse, man. Like get the get out of my industry. You know, I can't take it. It's it's just like I have no problem with vegetarian food. I have no problem with vegan food. I think it's phenomenal. I love vegetables. I think they're great. But let vegetables be vegetables. Like, they, you don't need to tell me that this mushroom really eats like a steak. I don't need that. That correlation makes no sense to me. And basically, what, I'm, what I hear when you tell me that is, look at this bullshit I'm trying to make you eat and pass off as something else. No. Like, you don't need to do that. Just tell me that this mushroom is amazing. You should try it. It's great. Big depth of flavor. It's got, you know, very complex level. Awesome. I will gladly eat a dozen of them. But when people come out and try to trick you that's what i hate uh what's the best meal you've ever had is is there anything that stands out i know that's a really tough one i don't know favorite meal my mom used to make when i was young she used to make us uh it was kind of like a stew it's called poor man's stew and it was like it's the most simple ridiculous thing you've ever heard of in your life but it's literally you just take a bunch of uh, you take a bunch of like Yukon gold potatoes, slice them up, fry off a whole pack of hot dogs, cut into pennies, you know, fry them all off, saute about four or five onions, you know, just chop and saute, you probably five pounds of potatoes, and you just cook them all together. You like cook them all individually, and then you stick them all together, and then you add a little water, and you just let it sit. It's like a hot dog hash, dude. It's crazy, and it is so good. And is there anything you want to be remembered for? Yeah, I'd like to be remembered for being kind. I think that would be it. Outside of that, I don't really care. Just as long as people think that I was nice. Maybe a little good barbecue along the way. Don't even care about that. Don't even care? No, don't care about it. Barbecue comes and goes, man. I mean, it's, it's what I like to do. It's my, it's my fancy. It's what I, you know, it's, it's my interest. But it's not me, you know. I like it. If somebody remembers me for making good barbecue... Then that was me being kind to them by making them a meal. And, you know, that was, you know, I, I, I approach every meal that I make for anybody that comes up as if they're my best friend. They get, for that moment, they're the only person that exists to me. So, make their food out the window, you know, have a nice day. And I, you know, and I mean it. <laughs> Where's the coolest place the barbecue has taken you? A couple years ago, right after Triple D... I was approached by uh, U.S. Navy Entertainment, the, the mess lords, who were started by Guy, and they wanted me to come out to Naval Station Great Lakes in Chicago, which is the uh, boot camp for all Navy recruits. 
So they had me come out there um, in July, and I got to cook for 2,800 graduating recruits and their families. And it was amazing. I was out there for three days. I cooked in kitchens that were bigger than city blocks. I mean, the kitchen at that naval base is unbelievable. Like, you can literally stand at one end of it and not see the other end of it. And I'm pretty sure it's because of the curvature of the earth. You know, it's <laughs> it's insane. Um, but I think that's one of the coolest places it's taken me. I got to cook for the entire crew of Air Force One, which was really cool. Um, so I got to meet some cool people through there. Uh during the Obama administration, which was nice. Those are both probably the two of the cooler places that I've gotten to go. Those are very cool experiences. I find that we get to do some pretty cool stuff in the food world. Yeah, you really do. You really do. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm undeserving of a lot of the, the positive things that have come my way uh, through this job, and just because it's you know it's I just make good barbecue. Like I don't I don't I don't see it as any you know, a huge contribution to, you know, American society or to the peace process or anything like that. I just make good barbecue. And if other people see that as something that's valuable to them, I think that's great. You know, I'm really honored by that. Yeah, I agree. So how can people find you? Do you want people to follow you on the internet? Sure. I always like more followers. Yeah. We're, um, we are, um, at the smoking swine through all the at platforms, you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, uh, and the smoking swine on on uh, Facebook. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Thanks so much. I've uh, I've loved following you and your adventures and getting to know you over the years. And like I said, you've been super helpful. Every time I've had a question about anything business wise, you're one of the first ones to jump in there and share your knowledge. So when you talk about being kind, you know, that's one of those things. I just, um, love people who have want to share their, um, knowledge with people Yeah. with nothing in return. So yeah, yeah, man, it's, it, it all comes down the pipe eventually, you know, you don't, I'm not worried. I've I've never been worried about getting compensation up front for, you know, help or anything like that. Just, you know, I always just hope that when my time comes, when I need help, there'll be somebody there to help me. To speak on his kindness, when I wanted to start looking for food trailers myself, I saw Drew on his Triple D episode and I sent him a DM and I was like, man, where did you get your trailer? And instead of sitting there on scene for weeks on end thinking like, man, this guy didn't give two shits about me, I got a message back almost immediately with contacts, emails, websites, <laughs> the whole shebang. And it was like, here's your silver platter filled with my barbecue knowledge goodness, you know. And it was almost instantly like, I want to see more of this culture out on the streets. So any way that I can help will help. And it's there's been conversations back and forth ever since then, even if they're just short, but there's never been a time when it didn't feel like he was too busy not to answer any questions that I had. And it's been a huge help in just starting our business up. And to me, that's priceless just as much as what kindness is. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. 
So thanks, Jared, for being co-host this week. And as always, this is Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. You can follow us on almost all platforms at Chefs Without Restaurants. That's chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com for any kind of contact info. And please like, share, rate, review this podcast. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.